From KLCC Media, this is the Oregon Grapevine. I'm Barbara Dellenbach. The Oregon Grapevine highlights fresh-pressed conversations with people who are actively and passionately creating the present and future in which they wish to live. Crystal Aikens is an interdisciplinary creative based in Lincoln City, Oregon, who activates community music and art through activism and spiritual care. Thank you so much for being on the Oregon Grapevine. Thank you for having me. You have a number of fields of creativity, activism, and so on. So I'd like to start with with visual arts. Let's Mm -hmm. start there and see what do you do in that field and how does it work? Yeah. So I started in visual arts um, doing art therapy with youth then teaching art K through 12. And it was always my way of of coping and my own therapy. Using visual arts is how I heal. So that's kind of my background. During the pandemic, um, I was predominantly doing music organizing. And the pandemic, I everything shut down. And everything I did was lots of people together <laughs> Um, making music so (laughs) it was all kind of the old world yeah I mean and I and it was all relationship based so it was on purpose like we purposely didn't use a lot of social media it was just about connecting and um, being with elders and children all together was that in Lincoln City mostly well I work statewide so most of my work actually is predominantly in Portland I travel around the state so a lot of the work's in Portland um Lincoln City along the coast, and then in, I'm here in Eugene also. So, yeah, I'm really all over the place. I'd like to talk for a minute about those musical groups and how that worked. I know it's kind of pre-pandemic, but, yeah, pre-pandemic. but what, you, was it therapeutic, or what was the purpose of getting the people together, and how did you organize it? The intention of all the work that I do is I'm called to um, serve music and art um, through healing, And so when I was 17 years old, I started a choir called the Intergenerational Women's Choir. And it was a community choir and babies all the way up to elders. I mean, I think our oldest singer, um, she's passed now, but Zayola, she was 99 years old. It was to heal women's voices. So women had the opportunity to use their voices, hear each other, celebrate aging and, have a space where it didn't look like a normal choir practice, I would say. So I encouraged kids to run around during practice <laughs> to play and for stories just to start when they felt like it. <laughs> uh, we were a service choir, so we were a group of women that went into houseless camps. And um, we started a program at Coffee Creek uh, Women's Prison We built together, actually, the first arts transitional program for um, women and their children coming out of prison. So we were a group of women working on our own community healing and um, moving that healing out into different parts of the community. And that was also pre-pandemic? Yeah, that was all that was all pre-pandemic. And then I um, I worked for the Alzheimer's Association and had a choir that we started called the Sing Here Now Choir. Um, I had the choir at Coffee Creek Correctional Facility. I worked in the schools um, doing intergenerational choirs. 
I had ukulele intergenerational groups. I mean, I had drumming groups. It was like everything community, everything intergenerational, everything about healing and gathering. And the pandemic happened and it all, it had to stop. Yeah. And so then that's how I got into visual arts. <laughs> so let's go there. You can't you can't get groups together to sing anymore, at least mm -hmm. for now. And you realized in the future you might be able to. Yeah. So how did visual arts kind of start for you? Was it a dream? Was it a moment of time? What what happened? Well, I was always making art, but it was never my front facing work. Like I said, it was more for my own healing. I was watching other visual artists and I realized, oh, they're they're making art still. Like I was finding ways of like, how do I still continue to make art? Like, how do I connect people and we're I mean I was already addressing isolation that's what the work is about too but then during the pandemic I think it, it surfaced how real and how important to pay attention to isolation <laughs> is <laughs> and um so there was a there was even a stronger calling to address that and so I basically took the model of community that I was using with music and I applied it to public art so I did projects like asking people to submit their favorite songs and I would do an improvis improvisational mural from those songs and make a film about me listening to these songs and people were talking about the songs they were sharing and then I made these murals. Um, so I was a partnership with um, Parks and Rec in Lincoln City and so now we have 10 murals on the ground. They're, they were ground murals and then as we were moving through the pandemic that we, you know, we could slowly have people come and join. So I would always try to make it a way where we can engage community, um, even if we couldn't all be together at the same time. So people were still a part of it. Go back for a second and tell me what a ground mural is. I think of a mural as on a wall, so it must oh, be something else. Yeah. So we, um, I had, yeah, community and kids come together and think of creative ways of asking questions, sharing story, and coming up with ideas for, for, for public art. And so the, in our town, there was no art on the ground. So the, the murals are literally on the ground at beach accesses in different, in different places. So in Portland, we have them in our neighborhoods, and I loved painting the grand murals um, with my neighbors. And I think it's an awesome project, so our, yeah, that region didn't have that, and so I brought it there. Kind of reminds me of, I was just the other day walking down the street and saw a cool chalk thing going on. Yeah. It's going to go away, of course, because it was chalk and it's pouring rain. Uh -huh. But it was it was kind of a ground mural. Yeah, absolutely. And they're, they're accessible. And um, yeah, so yeah, we worked with parks and got a bunch of different input. And as, as we were, you know, were able to gather slowly, we had, we had the kids come out and paint with us. And um yeah, and now we all can paint together again. But it is, <laughs> but that's how some of my work started. Now we're post-pandemic, or at least hopefully post-pandemic, post the major part of the lockdown. How are you singing again? Are you getting groups together? Are you doing art pieces together? How how are you once again bringing community together in time? Now I'm doing it all. So <laughs> I'm I I I'm using visual arts with music and dance and poetry and yeah I, I'm interdisciplinary so I believe in bringing all of different people together with all different backgrounds so last summer um, I did the first singing mural it's a wall that sings it's um, it's AR so um, it's augmented reality it's an old town 
downtown Portland. And it's on the side of the old embers. That uh, bar is called Badlands now. But that was a project to, to create allyship and elevate queer voices in Old Town. And so we had the Portland Lesbian Choir, Portland Gay Men's Chorus, and Maybell Community Singers sing a song that I composed called um, It's Raining Love, Hallelujah, which is a play on It's Raining Men, Hallelujah, <laughs> which is like, in my day, a really fun uh, gay anthem that I used to dance to inside of Embers. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so we had voices. We we did the we wrote this composition and we recorded this with the community. And then I had um, AR artists come in, community muralists. We all painted this huge mural on the side of the building. We had a big block party with drag queens and um, did a flash mob. So that's what I mean. We just bring it all together, and it's all about advocacy and listening to each other and creating relationships. Does that mural still exist there, but not necessarily the recorded music coming Oh, out? no, it does. Oh, it does. So what you do is you go up to the mural, and you hold your phone up to it, and images will come out of the wall, and you'll hear the voices. So when I do a lot of um, talk about you know, equity and representation and community um, identity, cultural identity, and so our voices are right in that wall. <laughs> And um, it's beautiful, and it's bright, and it uses all the colors from uh, the pride flag. And um, so many people were involved. Over 100 people were involved in that project. So my projects bring people together, a lot of people. Is there a project you're working on right now either similar to that, or it sounds like they're all very different, actually. So is there a project that you're working on right now that you can talk about? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm working on... (laughs) quite a few projects one um this is the third year into it and i'm working on changing the oregon state song so it's quite the process i didn't know any oh for you i just want i want a little backstory to those people who don't know anything about the current oregon state song so you you could give a little moment about that and then move into why does it need to be changed and what you're doing oh got it i've been teaching music in the schools um in our schools since the year 2000 and I remember singing the Oregon State song as a kid and then coming, that song coming back to me as an educator and my admin wanting me to teach the kids that song because there's always um, like, a, like a patriotic song unit for performance, right? So then during the pandemic, I would say maybe two months after George Floyd was killed, the local paper comes out in the town that I was in and it's calling all folks to come together to sing the Oregon State song. And at the same time, you know, I'm, I mean, just imagine what that feels like. I mean, I'm seeing monuments come down, people having conversations about change, people marching in the streets. I mean, and then I just felt like very isolated myself and very lonely, like the, that the community that I'm in is going to celebrate in a way. And the words to the song to the people who don't know is extremely patriotic and racist and therefore not inclusive. Yes. And so I, yeah, and as a teacher, I refused to teach that song. I said, there's other songs that we can be singing. I guess I didn't have access to the education when I was young. Um, I'm a person of color. I feel like sometimes I'm left out of the legislative process. And so I had a lot to learn. I mean, I'm 41 right now, learning about how to create a bill What's the process of legislation? <laughs> um, I do know historically legislation is legislated hate. And um, 
so I think I've always kind of avoided that process out of fear and never felt like I belonged to something like that. Um, but I met a group of people. So I, I have to say, in all my organizing, you'll always find someone. So don't give up. You'll find that one person who's going to give you the time and listen to you and and guide you. And so I, I found that with an organization, um, Cultural Advocacy Coalition of Oregon. And they're an amazing organization. And I'm learning so much about the process. And so they're helping, they helped me get to legislation to testify, to, to share an alternative idea about how could we create a state song. But I'm approaching it through a process because through the research, um, I looked at not one person of color, not one person from the BIPOC community was included um, to vote or submit a song or a poem. And then I was able to get the information from the Oregon Historical Society. They retrieved the information from the vaults during the pandemic. So I have all the original poems from the 1920s, all the original articles. And that's what I was looking for. I was looking for who was included, who was integrated into this work. And that's more of what I'm addressing is how can we collectively work together to to make the changes that we want to see. And I think that there's so many beautiful songs that represent all of us, and that song just does it. And kids really don't, they like singing it. <laughs> yeah. Having grown up in elementary schools in Oregon, I know what it's oh, like okay. to sing it. Yeah. So, your process is not that you have a song you want to present. It's that you want to create a process to create a new song. Yes. Yeah, so this is how, this is how we're doing it. We just launched the poetry contest. So in the 1920s, it's, that's how it started also. So I took some of the history because I want the kids to know the history so we can be accountable. We just launched um, It's for Youth. So it's a youth poetry contest. And we're asking all youth to submit. You can be from a school. You can, you can submit as a, as a family, as an organization that works with youth. We just want to hear youth's voices from across the state. And then we assembled 10 song teams. And so the youth poetry, those are the, the words and the lyrics that will inspire 10 new songs. So it's, we're going to be creating the Oregon State Song Collection. And that collection goes to a virtual public vote where people choose their most preferred songs. And then that most preferred song from the statewide virtual public vote, that's the song I take back to legislation in 2024. But the exciting part is that we're building a curriculum around this that's in the form of a zine because we want this to be approachable. For, we want kids to, to love these songs. And so we're, we're talking with different historians across the state, um, talking about what the original lyrics, what, what they're singing to, what did Oregon look like in the 1920s and where we're at now and what do we imagine and envision for for Oregon 100 years from now. And those are the conversations we're having intergenerationally. Each song is uh, unique and really a, a community piece on its own. For example, we have one where the tribes are coming together and they're working on creating a song in indigenous language. And it's in the model of a round dance. And a round dance at powwow is a song that all people can come and dance together. And um, so kids to learn about different cultures, different ways of passing music and song and knowledge and story and legacy. And at the end of this, we're, we, 
we're going to have um, school assemblies where artists come and volunteer and sing at the schools. And it's just really about getting us to sing together again. We're, and this is integrated work. So we're not only BIPOC community. We're asking anyone that has a desire to come together to, to support each other. And I don't want to go deeply into it, but there's the poetry piece, and there's also obviously a tune or melodic or musical piece that's also being created, presumably. Yeah. By the, so eat, there's the 10 song teams. They're creating the composition. Changing gears. Mm -hmm. Besides doing music and visual arts, you also are very involved with the whole topic of death and being a death doula and helping people because we, as a culture, often maybe you're getting nearer to but don't we we avoid the conversation yeah we do so what can you tell me about your work yeah so i'm a, I'm a death doula hospice chaplain spiritual director it just depends what space i'm in what title i could use <laughs> but i uh, i really started at work bedside so i was up at Dornbecker children's hospital shriners and i was singing bedside and then that led me to working with adults with oncology and folks with Alzheimer's and so it was really music that that led me to those spaces and then I just heard you know I called the whispers and I <laughs> and I followed them and it was quite the path of discernment um, I had people die in my life um, all at once and I realized you know how much my family didn't talk about it I my Filipino side did but my white side didn't. <laughs> so it was like kind of exploring that culturally. And um, so I started to do death work because I wanted to honor the people that died in my life. And I wanted to support families in ways that I didn't feel the support and that the ways that my family didn't have the support. Um, so that, that's where it started. So connecting it back to the art, I do a cemetery concert series. So it's Oregon's first cemetery concert series and we're on year three and it's a partnership with um metro in portland and we've sang at the different cemeteries but we have a great turnout at lone fir cemetery it seems to be a place where people like to gather a lot of community there and so what i do is i collect people's legacy songs people write me letters um when i'm bedside with families they'll um tell me their stories, they'll ask me to write songs for them. And then I put together a very large band <laughs> and we practice those songs and we sing them at the cemetery. Yeah. Once a year? Yeah, so the last weekend, last weekend of August. So this year we have a, a brass band, we're gonna do a second line, I have dancers. And yeah, and we have a photo booth, which is um, a casket that we built. <laughs> We're trying to, there's so much stigmatism and fear around dying. I lead death cafes, and I just realized, like, the more we talk about death, we live our lives differently. And um, we all are birthed into the world very uniquely, and we all die in a very unique way. But what I do notice is that we do need each other. So, and, um, so that's kind of what this is about, is creating community around death. I really believe that we live interdependently we need each other and I think that's what always drives me is the connection and the relationships but I really believe in the power of encouraging each other and believing in each other and it's very simple <laughs> it's a very simple thing and 
I don't see it a lot in isolated spaces. Th- those are those are kind of the themes that that drive me and that 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 I witness. Is there anything you want to add here, Crystal? Any story or project that you work on or anything else you want to make sure we share with our audience? I have one because it's not too far from here that folks might want to get involved in. So I am working on a mosaic. They're, they're mosaic public art murals. They're very large murals. And they're all made out of pieces of glass. And so I'm working on one at Oak Ridge School. The counselor there contacted me and said, is there any way we could get involved in this? Our schools and our families just evacuated the fires. And it was just a call for healing and art at the school. And so these murals, they're going up across the state. And so I just want to talk about the one at Oak Ridge. It's about cellular healing traction. Um, I'm studying biomimicry um, right now. And so that's taking the processes and strategies of nature and then applying them to our disciplines. So I'm applying that to, to organizing and um, community healing. And so this mosaic the image of it is an abstract of our cellular healing, which is the movement of our healing as we come together. Our cells alert us, and all the cells, you know, send messages of we need to we need to send energy to this space for the healing. And so that's what these murals embody also. So the image is of cellular healing, but it's also created in that same pattern of coming together. So each mural like I said, is large. So this mural is 1,680 people. And they each make individual tiles, and then we put them all up on the wall. <laughs> is there a, a date when you are going to unveil it or when the, you know when it might be done? Yeah, we're looking at the end of August for it to be done. So we're going to be working on the install um, in June and July. And we're still doing um, pop-ups across the state. So, yeah, because I believe in like outside resources coming in. I think that's really important, especially in in our smaller towns, that um, we need those outside resources is what I've learned from living in small towns. And um, and people want to help us. I think that's what we have to remember is that there's people that, that care about us that we haven't met yet, and they want to get involved. They're just looking for ways to help. Thank you so much, Crystal Akins, who has been with us on The Grapevine. Thanks for being here. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to KLCC Media's The Oregon Grapevine, fresh pressed conversations with people who are actively and passionately creating the present and future in which they wish to live.